Welcome to the Financial Coconut Podcast Network, the leading personal finance podcast network in Singapore. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Your Chief Financial Coconut, and every Monday you will be joining me, Eric Fung, and SG Budget Big Dawn on our weekly segment, Wise and Shine, where we leverage on the latest quirky happenings out there on the internet to answer many of your burning social and personal development questions. Yes, we all sick and tired of talking about money, so welcome back to Wise and Shine. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If in the event someone else wins this time round, will you run again the next round? No. I am very curious. Are you the dragon slayer? The reason why I'm standing for president, maybe you can call me a dragon slayer. <laughs> Is because times in the future can be difficult. Welcome back to Wise and Shine. I'm your host Reggie, aka Your Chief Financial Coconut, and I'm Don, SG Budget Babe. Today we have a really special Ooh. guest on set, and you guys will probably know him by now, so he doesn't really need an introduction. But we'll let him introduce himself. I'm Ngok Song. Presidential hopeful. Mm. I'm so delighted yeah. to be with uh, Reggie and Don yes. for Wise and Shine. Yes, yes. You know? And I hope to shine. Great. So really? that's why I'm here at Wise and Shine. shine. Yes. Is, it the, is it the best podcast in Singapore? It will be. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. And I think like what Don said, right? You've gone on multiple media shows, you know, you're, you're everywhere already. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever that you said in the beginning, oh, nobody knows me. Now everybody knows you, right? But tell us yes. something that maybe you have not shared elsewhere, right? something about you, like that's unique. People do not know that I cannot sleep without a bolster. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting nugget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. It is like comfort, you know? Yeah, yeah. I thought you would go into something like, oh, uh, what is your biggest bet in GIC or something? Like that? <laughs> That is professional That's talk. Professional talk. Okay, uh, okay. You're okay. asking me something personal. Personal. Okay, yes, okay. Cannot yes. say without a bolster. Then what about professional? I think. Wait, wait. Are... I got a follow up yeah, question. Yeah. So, do you bring a bolster along when you travel then? Very good question. I did. Oh. Oh. Once I was traveling um, on Singapore Airlines and I packed my bolster into a little, uh, you know, uh, bag, you know, squished all together. And then I put it in the overhead cabin. <laughs> And I was traveling with our finance minister at that time, Dr. Richard Hu, mm. you know. So halfway through the flight, I reached out and I took out my bolster. <laughs> and he was aghast. Cock song, you really do that? I said, yes, sir. Mm. I have a good night's sleep. I can hit the ground running. Mm. I need my cho-cho, essentially. <laughs> that's, the, that's the idea. To be fair, yeah. I also can't sleep without my bolster. You can, you can. I, I survive if I'm overseas. I, I never pack to travel. Yes. But then the sleep won't be as good. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the bolster is Singapore's financial reserves. <laughs> 
knife and, and yes, that is the question. We stick better. That yeah, and, with okay. the holster great. or our reserves. You heard that. From great, great. And that's the question, right? I mean, uh, you as the chief investment officer of um, GIC. Yes. In the finance sector, it is very cutthroat. The people that are at the top must be the best. Right, because it's a very clean type of evaluation metrics. You can make money now. You can make a lot of money. You can lead the investment team. Yes. So what is your best bet in GIC over the many years of service that you've done? The best bet that I made was just before the global financial crisis where I had to lead the investment team at the GIC. I had to work with our board of directors, uh, which was then led by Mr. Lee Kuan Yew but Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong was the deputy chairman. So in the run-up to the 2008 uh, global financial crisis, there was so much exuberance in the markets, uh, but there was so much financial leverage in the banking system, in the financial system. Everything seems to be going very, very well, so much so that I don't know whether you remember the CEO of uh, Citibank, Chuck Prince, says that when the music is playing, you must continue to dance. <laughs> okay. Well, I and my management team took a different view and we said no. From this point on, meaning in, uh, in May 2007, the downside risk is so much greater than any upside potential. Hmm. And so we began a process of uh, persuading our board of directors to de-risk the GIC portfolio significantly. Hmm. That was a very bold move because practically everywhere else, there was a contrary opinion. Yeah. And also, um, there were people who were very experienced. Some of our advisors, our foreign advisors on the GIC investment committee, who says, no, the GIC is a long-term investor. We should not be timing the markets. Mm, mm, uh, mm. Going out, coming back. And so I had to uh, make a persuasive case. I have to persuade our investment committee. Eventually, I had to go to the board of directors to say to them that it is my judgment, based on years of experience, that this is a very risky situation in global markets. To protect our reserves, we have to reduce the risk. Mm which means that we have to cut back our exposure to uh, basically equities. Nice. Right? So, but that was a difficult decision to make because uh, eventually when the board agreed to do that from May onwards until March 2008, the markets went higher until uh, Bear Stearns mm. uh, collapsed. Yes. Then the markets begin to crumble. And of course, in October 2008, Lehman Brothers collapse, That's and it. all hell broke loose. <laughs> mm, mm. Mm? How do you react at that point in time? When all hell broke loose and Lehman collapsed, we bought back everything we sold. Mm. You see, that's a very major decision because it involves billions of dollars. And it was a very tricky operation because how do you try to sell at the top and how do you try to buy at the bottom? Mm. Impossible. So because we are such a large fund, it's we have so to start early. Yes. We have to start early yes. and then average down, mm. you know, the cost. So it was the most stressful time of my work at the GIC. Interesting. So once the global financial crisis was over, 
I said, it's time to retire. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think was more difficult? Convincing the board and everyone else to follow this contrarian move or do executing the actual contrarian Both move? Both were very difficult because mm. I cannot execute unless I get the approval. Of course. Mm. Of course. Because we are talking about a major decision yeah. which requires the approval of the board. Mm. And as on any board, there are differences of opinion. Yeah. You know? And uh, in that situation, I had to, you know, try to make the best judgment I can, present my opinions. And I cannot be cocksure about those things. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows for sure. All I know was the downside risk is so much greater than any upside potential. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the prudent thing to do is to reduce the risk mm -hmm. and not be greedy. Not be greedy, you see? Because if you try to be greedy to catch another 10%, you might very well lose 50%. Mm -hmm. In a way, you can say that, um, you know, the 30 years, 40 years before then was a preparation mm -hmm. for that critical moment. That was the big move. Yes. Yeah. So then, do you agree with time the market and timing the market? In the sense of like, everybody says, oh, you should have time in the market and not timing the market. No, but no. that move is timing the market. <laughs> yeah. Now you see, timing the market is extraordinarily difficult. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in that particular uh, period where we had to re-risk and then increase the risk, yeah. is the moves were so big because the market fell almost 40%. Yeah. The stock market fell 40%. Our timing was not perfect. But because the move was so big, you don't have to be perfect. <laughs> All right, fair. So fair. I think in, in that particular instance, if I remember correctly, we were able to capture about 30, 30%. Mm -hmm. You see? So, so don't make market timing decisions lightly. Do it rarely mm. because it is not easy to execute. For people with personal finances, the prudent thing is to invest steadily so that you're not putting all your eggs into the market at, the, at one time. You steadily accumulate your savings and you try to capture the average. Mm. On average, the market will go up maybe at a rate of about 6 to 8% per year, mm. try to capture that. Mm. Mm. But don't try to say, I want to sell at the top and buy at the bottom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Unless you lead GIC. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> even, even there. It's an expectation because I think institutional yeah. investors are expected to perform even in a bad market. There's yes. no such thing as bad market no, means not, not make money. You're going to get out. Yes. Right, so it's a, it's a very different So those are very rare decisions mm, that, mm, that you should make. Fair, you know, fair, 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 fair. I'm just curious, you know, making these decisions are not easy and it takes a lot of courage to go against the herd, to be contrarian. So given that you're exercising so much of that mental and emotional capacity at work to make these big decisions uh, for the, the reserves, for the country, how then do you try to balance it with your personal life? Do you also, do you, are you of the option whereby, you know what, I'm doing so much of this at work, I'd rather just let my personal finances be taken care of, someone else to manage my investments and I don't really care about capturing everything, but as long as it's something decent, that's good enough? Or are you of the mandate whereby, hey, I'm good at this and I expand more mental and emotional capacity to also manage my own? Which yes. camp are you in? No, I, I, let, me, let me share with you something which is, which is quite private. Mm but I think it's an important point to make. See, because I was the chief investment officer of the GIC, and in certain markets, the GIC is a very powerful force, mm. particularly in the Asian markets. So some of the things that the GIC does 
has the possibility of moving markets. Mm. All right. So one of my great concerns when I was at the GIC was that no investment officer at the GIC should be perceived to have a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. That they take advantage of information, they take advantage of their position to benefit themselves personally. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, having said that, we cannot deny the people at the GIC the right to invest their savings. Mm -hmm. Because they are professionals, right? They are professionals, <laughs> you see. So mm -hmm. what, what we then did at the GIC was to put in place very clear rules and procedures. If you want to invest in something that the GIC is involved in, you must get prior approval. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, if you are going in involving yourself in some kind of investment that the GIC is doing at a particular particular time, you must go last. Mm -hmm. You cannot go in first and front run Fair. the yeah. GIC. That means you open your position first before yes. GIC comes in. Mm -hmm. And then the other problem was that because the GIC is a major client to investment banks, to brokers, they all want to please you. Mm -hmm. They want to do you a favor. Mm -hmm. So they will say, well, can I allocate you a special IPO? If those things happen, it doesn't look good on the GIC, you know, as the as Singapore's uh, sovereign wealth fund. So I and the top management at the GIC were very careful to put in place all these rules to avoid any actual or perceived conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then for myself, I set a higher standard. Mm. I said, I will not be involved. I will not invest in anything that the GIC invests in. Mm. Fair, fair, now, fair. Then what do I do with my money? You know, I have my savings. Mm -hmm. I earn my salaries. All my savings went into Singapore dollar time deposits with banks. <laughs> and from time to time, when, you know, there's a new condominium project. Mm. So I invest in some apartments to collect rental income. Mm. Ah, that's all I did. Okay. So I, you know, you asked me a good question. Why can't? In fact, my wife asked me that. <laughs> she said, "Kok, so you spend so much time and effort." And you're a professional. You're so you're good at it. You're professional, helping to make money for the government. Isn't it about time you make some money for your family? <laughs> I love that wife. Huh? Right, wife is great. She so is your board director. <laughs> yes. I said no. I said no, darling. Mm. I cannot. Mm. Mm? To protect the integrity of the GIC, I had to set a higher standard for myself. And you went out, you went to retirement, right? And then now you are coming back, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Into the limelight and taking this whole thing as a precedent and all that. So I am very curious, are you the dragon slayer? Okay, but let me let me provide everybody context the context. First. Okay, I must <laughs> be very clear. This one I quote. Huh? So in 2018, I think during the ministerial salary discussion, Mr. Go Chok Tong came out and said this, and I quote from Straits Times. Huh? In times of prolonged crises and upheaval, I have no doubt that Singaporeans will step forward to serve. Money will not be a key vector. But in peace and prosperity, there are no dragons to slay. Personal aspirations, freedom, privacy, and lifestyle take precedence. So does it mean that now you've got dragon to slay and you are the dragon slayer? That's why you have put your name into the presidential race. <laughs> oh, I think uh, ESM Go had a really important analogy there. Mm. Now we, we live in seemingly peaceful times. And now we you know, live at a time when things seem to be going okay in Singapore. But the reason why I'm standing for president 
maybe you can call me a dragon slayer. <laughs> it's because times in the future can be difficult. It can be difficult as far as the external environment is concerned, you know, and we might very well have a situation in the global economy which would affect the Singapore economy, such as the outbreak of war between China and the United States. Mm. That will be so destructive for the global economy and it will hit our economy very badly. Mm. Maybe worse than the GFC, maybe worse than the pandemic. Mm. All right. So in order to prepare for those difficult times, you know, the dragon must come up quick. So <laughs> the dragon's here must come, yes. that, all right? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I'm concerned, I'm concerned that domestically, we've been so used to good government for 58 years since we became independent. But who knows? Mm. Things might change and we may enter a period of time where the government may not be as good as it has been. Question. Are you seeing signs? This no. cannot be fully a preemptive measure, right? There must be some no, concerns. I think, I think nations rise and they fall. Okay. Companies rise and they fall. Mm. All right. We mustn't assume that Singapore may not fall. Mm. Fair, right? fair, fair. So are you seeing signs so, that No, I think we have, to, we have to be very realistic mm. and know that it's very difficult to sustain such a high standard of governance. I don't think it's going to happen soon. But what if one day we have a prime minister who is corrupt? Can you imagine the consequences for Singapore? You only have to look around our neighbourhood. So that is the kind of domestic prospect that I'm worried about. Fair. Why, why now and not earlier or at a different time? What made you come out now? The, risk the dragon doesn't come out too early. <laughs> it must come out at a timely moment. Timely so moment. the dragon we are talking about here is the dragon of the president. Mm, mm, because mm. if the prime minister is corrupt, mm, mm. if the government turns bad, mm. at least we have the president as a delaying yeah, yeah. tactic. Fair, fair. As, fair. A, as a veto. Fair. In order to prevent it from happening suddenly and quickly. So in that sense, I do agree with uh, with Mr. Go Chok Tong's mm. analogy. There's a we dragon. Need, we, we need <laughs> dragon slayers to come up now. Yeah. Fair, fair. Okay. So um I think there's two two tangent to that discussion. First is internal, second is the external externalities of yes. the situation today, right? So mm -hmm. let us address the internal one first. So I think Tan Kim Lin was saying something along the lines of like if the government does not do uh, policies that are aligned with, with him, if he becomes the president, he may not approve the budget. Right, and then you reacted to say that the government should have executive powers, right, and then uh, the president should not participate in this decision making of the budgets, right. So that is that. So my question is then: At which point in time will you, if you are the president, actually take a different position from the government? That means you don't approve the budgets. The the president must be clear about what he can do and what he cannot do. Yeah. So the president does not make policies. Yes. The president has checked mm. on two very specific things and that is when the government wants to draw down on the past reserves mm -hmm. and when the government wants to make certain appointments in the public sector that the president disagrees with those are the two checks that the president has the president should not make policies mm. but if policies are made such as in the budget which requires a draw on the reserves, such as when there's a deficit, mm. then the president can ask the government, why are you 
drawing on the past reserves. Mm. What is it for? All right. So we must be very clear about that. Yeah. yeah you know? So the president cannot give guidance to the minister for finance. Please allocate so much, so much, so much. That is the government's job. Mm. So if we don't understand that, we're going to make a mess of mm. things. Yeah. The government cannot function. Fair. And I'm not disputing that point. In fact, I agree with you. Yeah. But the real question is, at what point, what parameters are you deciding? If you are the president today, that you say, okay, the government say, I want to draw down the reserves. And then Nkok Song say, mm, cannot, right? So at what point, what is your parameter to decide? Did you, did you have a chance to watch the YouTube video of the Prime Minister? The recent one, right? The CNA three-parter. Yes, Last, I saw. You? Yes. Did you? Yeah, I, I saw. The three-part monologue. Even minister, Prime Minister must come out to monologue. It's not a monologue. Yeah. It's, a, it's a wonderful performance, mm, yeah. in my opinion, by the Prime Minister. Yeah. But it took the Prime Minister no less to explain. So this matter of the reserves is not an easy matter. It's true, it's true. Right? So don't make light of it, you know, say, oh, anyone can, can do it. Yeah. All right? It, it requires the Prime Minister to explain to the people of Singapore in three <laughs> YouTube videos, when the government comes to the President, as Mr. President, I want to draw down $30 billion of reserves. The President has got to make a judgment call. Yeah. Why $30 billion? Yeah. All right? And of course, in order to make a judgment call, it's got to have an understanding of the global environment. What is the risk that we are facing? He's got to say, all right, how is it going to threaten the Singapore economy? You know, it's the same kind of judgment which I had to make during the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to be able to, to in a way, ask questions, ask the right questions. Mm. All right. I mean, challenge the assumptions, you know, with the help of the Council of Presidential Advisors, mm, you know. Mm. So, so those are, those are judgment calls which require some competence, mm. all right? Some competence. You see, if you are performing heart surgery, a GP is not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, who's the so GP in this election? You, you draw your own conclusions. <laughs> At okay. what point will it take you to disagree? So say if you were to become president yes. and the government has a view that current situations, you know, maybe the cost of living, difficulty in rolling out incremental GST increases and they say, we want to draw down from the reserves. But your view is that, no, there are still other measures that we can try. There are ways that we can budget first instead of touching the reserve. Yes. At what point will you step forward to say, and if in that discussion, they do not agree with your view. So it's a very clear yes, no, opposite side. Yes. How far would you go to make your statement and opinion heard, not just by them, but by the masses in order well, to protect the reserves? Yes, there is a, there's, there's an institutional provision for that in mm. regard to how the president works. So if the president disagrees with the government, if he disagrees that the amount that they are asking to draw, says, no, you're drawing on too much. Mm. Mm? The president, with the advice from his council of advisors, can say no, veto the decision. Then what happens? The government has to go to parliament. Take a two-thirds majority. Two majority yeah. Which is mm. not easy to get. Mm. All right. Mm. So that is our safeguard. Yeah. Mm. But provided they do actually get the two-thirds. So in this case, how yeah, so much of a fight will you put goes up? Through. If they get the two-thirds majority, mm. I think that day Singapore is doomed. Mm. Mm. Okay. The people of Let's Singapore are asleep yeah. at that time. Go through a very like 
wild assumption, okay? In the event that they get tooted and you're still strongly against it, how far will you then go to protect and say no? Or are you just going to be, okay, fine, we got two-thirds. I have go a responsibility ahead. at that point to speak to the people of Singapore. Okay, okay fair. So you would then take that stand and address. That. Fair, fair. And I think the international media will focus on it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because it's the president, right? So yes. it, it's... Uh, yes. Okay, fair. Yeah. I think that's a fair point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um, one of my friends just came just now. He was asking, hey, can you ask Kok Song, right? What about the presidential advisors, right? The community of presidential advisors, right? So because now there's this whole advisory structure, you know, within the presidential um, situation uh, or even in the office of the presidency. So is the, does the president truly have independence? Or like, how is it going to work with the advisory committee? Maybe you can give us some colour on that. Well, I think, you know, the way things are set up at the moment the constitutional provision for the elected presidency and the whole process, the procedures involving the Council of Presidential Advisors, and even these selection criteria as to who can stand for president. I think all these things need to evolve hmm. in the light of experience. Okay. What are the shortfalls? You know, what are the limitations? How can we improve? Hmm. So this kind of evolution is important. Just as in our system of, in the parliament, at one time it was just single seat constituencies. Mm. Then the, we put in GRCs in order to make sure that the minorities are adequately represented in parliament mm. by having GRCs involving members of parliament from different races. See, And even after that, we say, not good enough. Nominated members of parliament. Mm. And then we went to a situation where Opposition candidates, if they don't win, they can still be chosen, mm -hmm. one of them. Mm. So you see, our parliamentary system of government has evolved mm. over the years, right? In the light of experience, how to make it better. I think similarly, with the office of the elected president, we can make it better, you see? How do we make it better? Well, I think there's too much weight being put on the expertise of the president. Mm. It's necessary that the president should be competent, but it's a very heavy responsibility, mm. you know? And then you say you can fall back on the Council of Presidential Advisors. Yes, I think we've got people with the right experience and expertise, but we should always strengthen that. Mm. We should always strengthen that. So there are some suggestions that maybe, you know, instead of all these powers, the custodial powers being vested in the president, Maybe we should have an upper house of parliament, yeah. mm. for example. Some people talk about so it. So all these things, I think, is worth thinking Exploring. about. What, what is something that would be particularly interesting for you to evolve the power of the presidency, specifically for you? Well, I think it's very important that, uh, mm. that there should be a group of financial experts mm. who have the relevant expertise to, to help the president weigh the merits of drawing on the reserves mm -hmm. and how much to draw down, mm -hmm. you know? And of course, now you have a situation where the president is obliged to consult the Council of Presidential Advisors, yeah. you know? And of course, it would take a very bold president to override the Council of Presidential Advisors. Mm. Do you and foresee yourself being that bold president? <laughs> Are you that bold president? Well, I need to have a lot of uh, conviction. Fair. As I demonstrated when I worked at the GIC, I had to go against the traffic. Mm. Mm. And you're independent right? in that sense. Yes. Yeah. 
Earlier so, on, you also talked about competency. What are some metrics of assessing the presidential uh, candidate's competency that you think should evolve and change today versus what it always has been? In the days gone by, in previous terms of the elected president, no dragon slayers. <laughs> yeah, only the smile and shake hands. So now we need, we, we need dragon. Yeah. Mm. Okay. With okay. claws. Mm-hmm. With claws, interesting. Yeah. Sharp claws, right? Interesting, yes. interesting. Okay, yes. okay. So, so that is the internal element of the discussion, right? Yes. And you talk about externalities, right? Like what is out there, what yes. is outside of Singapore. And I think you know, cat out of the bag, right? The biggest problem now is U.S. China, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So U.S. China dispute. I think there is consensus around this that this is the biggest problem for Singapore to come in the next few decades, right? So you, if you are the president, you know, you become the president of Singapore. How are you gonna? execute the power of the presidency to support or manage this US-China situation. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I doubt that President Xi Jinping or President Biden would consult me. (laughs) Maybe they will, right? For their funds or something. No, but we, we, but we, have, we need to have leaders. And mm. I think we have the leaders mm. who can make the assessment, mm. all right, as to how serious the risk is and how imminent mm. is the risk. And then how do we prepare Singapore for the, uh, you know, the collateral damage mm. it will do to our economy if there is a hot war, mm. mm-hmm. right? That is a kind of an assessment, you know, which not only, uh, you know, prime ministers have to make. The president must be aware of those things, yes. you know. Not that he can do much about it, mm-hmm. all right? But he must be aware so that if a conflict does break out, the government comes to the president and say, I need to draw down on the past reserves to insulate our economy. Mm. Then the president can make a good assessment about that. Mm. And, and it's not an easy decision to make. Because when the government comes to ask to draw down on the reserves, the government can ask for a small amount or a very big amount. Mm. How do you decide whether, of course, the president said, smaller the better. <laughs> but smaller may not be better. Yes, yes. Because if it's too small, it won't work. You understand you cause more problems. Exactly. Yes. So when you mm. have a crisis, it's better to act forcefully mm-hmm. without having to come back again and again. Okay. Right? Okay. So these are judgments, mm. right? There's no clear metrics. Fair, fair. And only years of experience and understanding can help you to make those decisions wisely. Fair. But prior to coming to that crisis point, would you, I mean, even though the president has very clear designated rules, but at the end of the day, as a main figurehead of Singapore as well, there are certain powers and influence that you can use to exert in that position. Would you do anything pre-crisis to prevent it from escalating? Yeah, or yeah. would you just leave that up to the government? No, that is completely up to the government. The government's work. And in the, the event that you feel the government falls short, Will you then step in to maybe make an appearance? Not, not step in. Okay. Not step okay. in. But to the extent 
that the Prime Minister of the day, the Cabinet Minister of the day, would like to have some advice from the President, I will always be available. Okay, mm. fair. And I will be able to offer them my views behind closed doors. Right. Fair, fair. So in your view and in the current structure of how the powers are structured, essentially the president is not the head of state that will go out and do all the kind of shake hands, say hi, make friends type of situation. Well, no, the president has the has important that, role. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because the president carries with him the reputation exactly, of Singapore. Exactly, exactly. So you want to have a president who is respected not only in Singapore, mm. but internationally. Yeah, mm. yeah You fair. see? And that is where I feel that my many years of work at the GIC mm. has made me known yeah, internationally. Fair. fair. Because, you know, the GIC invests in 40 over countries around the world. Mm. Mm. You know, and I, I have made so many business trips. Mm. I know ministers for finance. I, I even know former prime ministers. I know corporate CEOs. Yeah. So I feel that because of my work at the GIC, I'm quite well known internationally mm. and um, so let me give you an example of that as you know i had a very good friend with uh, mr ray dalio have mm. you heard of ray mm -hmm. dalio yeah. yes the, yeah the, everyone in the finance yeah. community yeah. would know him yeah. <laughs> so because we are friends so when i decided to contest for the presidency i thought as a courtesy mm. i would let him know instead of him finding it out from the newspapers. So I spoke to Ray, I said, Ray, you know, I just want to inform you that I'm standing for the presidency. So then he says, oh, who are you going to be running against? I said, your, also your friend, Taman, you know, <laughs> mm. former finance minister, deputy prime minister. So he says, Singapore is so lucky to have the two persons, the two best persons that I know running for the presidency. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a tribute to Singapore. That is, that isn't is. Isn't it? I want to get clarity on that, right? Essentially, what you're saying is, yes, the president is the head of state. He represents the, the country. He represents the interests of the country. But because it is not the government, it should not decide the US-China policies in that sense. So in other words, the president acts against the long-term plan of the government and does not do independent trips on their own to, to, to change the position on their own. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So okay. I, I, think, I think a very good way of describing the role of the president vis-a-vis -vis the government, mm. yeah? the president is the head of state. Mm. The prime minister is the head of government. Mm. My yeah. understanding is that the role of the president is to work with the government mm. for the people of Singapore. Not to make trouble for the government, mm. to support the government, to veto the government if necessary, but sparingly. Mm. Mm. But to work with the government for the people of Singapore. Okay, okay, fair. I, I like that clarity. I think that's very clear. Um, okay, so I think one of your um, good friends, Mr. George Yeo, gave yes. you that... You know, support you, right? Sign off, and, and you and you you on another show did say that you didn't want the world to know. He was the one. George was the one that came out on his own to tell the world that he's endorsing you in that sense, right? Yes. Yeah. So what what is that? Is that showing that he likes you more than Taman? <laughs> because he was, you know, working with Taman, right, mm -hmm. Mr. Taman, right? Well, so we're so fortunate that we have many honourable, courageous Singaporeans who can understand what is in the interest of Singapore. So when I decided to stand for the presidency, because I've known George for many years, I wanted to go and share with him my decision. So I explained to George my reasons for wanting to stand. Number one, 
I want there to be an election. It cannot be a walkover. It will make a mockery out of elected presidency <laughs> when yeah, there's yeah. no election. Yeah. <laughs> All right? I think for the dignity of the presidency, for the people of Singapore to feel happy that they had the right to choose mm. was very important to me. Second reason, Singapore runs the danger. Not a sufficient number of good and capable people are coming forward to assume political leadership, even opposition leadership. We need more of such good people. And the danger is that increasingly it is more difficult to find such good and capable people. And all I'm doing, even at the age of 75, is to set an example. Mm. That if I am willing to come forward, why not you? Mm. All right? Are so, there any people you have in mind? You don't have to name names, no, but are there any <laughs> yeah. Are there yeah. any you have in mind that you think, I know this guy, he's so great for politics. Why is he not running? Yes, I cannot reveal their names. Oh, okay. See? That's why I'm asking no but name. I want you see my, right? <laughs> and have you have you why, then told why, them? Why not? Either mm. of you. Oh. Why not you? Yeah, maybe one I, day. I like my privacy. One day. Yeah, so you were a different yes, consideration. You, so you know. <laughs> <clears throat> what sacrifice I'm making. Yes. You understand. And your so, wife also spoke about it, right? So anyway, but you went ahead. I explained to, to George Yeo the reasons why I'm standing. And I said, look, you know me. I've worked 45 years in helping to build up the reserves, build up the GIC. I don't want the reserves to be squandered. Mm. I have a personal reason. Mm. So you I view this as protecting your baby in that sense? Yes. Mm. Yes. So I explained to George and I said, well, George... If you can help me in some way, I'll be very grateful. And George thought about it for quite some time. He says, Koksong, I'm also a friend of Taman. Mm -hmm. We were fellow cabinet ministers. But he says, but I, I admire what you're doing. And so I think I can be your character reference. Mm -hmm. And then he said, I think he, this is reported in the papers yesterday. And he said, if Taman asked me, why are you a character reference? Then he says, I will tell Taman, if you ask me to be your character reference, I will also be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is honourable. Mm, mm, mm. And that is courageous. Fair. He could easily like, go song, please. Difficult. Difficult. <laughs> I like you, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, fair. So I'm so grateful to George. He was a true, loyal Singaporean, mm. right? Who believed in the best interests of Singapore. Yeah, and I like that George is our spare tire. That's what he said. <laughs> hey, for a spare tire, that is quite good, right? Yeah. That's how I look at it. I think when you decided to run, there was no, um, or maybe it was insider information, but at that point, it wasn't known that Taman would be running as well. So did you feel any change in your emotions when that news broke, when he announced no, that he was... on the contrary. On the contrary, it was when Taman said that he was running and that he would like to be elected mm. and not a walkover that he wanted to be elected so that he can say he has a mandate from the people of singapore that was the moment when i asked myself the question Song, why not you so that was the moment which cemented your decision yes so it wasn't a case of you already decided but you hadn't yet announced it was that moment that said I should stop thinking about it. I should just go ahead and do it. That's right. I mean, I, I had been thinking about it for two or three months. You know, I was tossing this thing in my head, you know. It wasn't an easy decision to make, you know. And I wanted to think about it very, very carefully. But when Taman uh, spoke about his desire to be elected, 
So I thought I could make a contribution. Mm. <laughs> okay, okay. A worthy competitor, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the yeah. idea. Okay, okay, fair. And you went on uh, our great friend's uh, show, Te Tarek Wallet, right? To, to talk about the migrant worker thing, right? And I mean, you it wasn't you that brought it up, right? But they, they, talk, they talk about it and it went viral, right? So, so oh, about I, the lorry thing. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I want to ask you like, if you are the president or, you know, even if you're not the president, I think by now you've accumulated some fame. You know, people know you. You're a reputable person in that sense, right? What are some causes locally that you will champion and support? You know, whether is it like, you know, shake hand, put your name on, you know, all those, which is important, right? The the power of the president as a head of state yeah. to champion certain causes that are local. You know, what would be some of these things that is on your platform? You see, the president, the life of the president his life history is a story of what he stood for, of his values. And therefore, the president brings to his office those values. Mm. The reason why I was so worked up about migrant workers on the lorry, I think that is ghastly, you know? That is horrible. Because you wouldn't put your grandchildren on a lorry to go to school. Fair. Right? So I said, what sort of Singaporeans are we? Mm. We want to be known as a kinder society, as a caring society. And you do this to workers who sweat under the sun to help us to build Singapore. Our mass rapid transit system could have been built without the migrant workers? No chance. So instead of being grateful, we ill-treat them. So as someone who grew up poor, I understand that. And so Singapore should not just become a richer society. We must be rich in heart. Mm-hmm. Mm. So based on that train of thought, are there certain other things that... So I've been speaking about the three things that I would like to to do, and that is for our younger generation. Mm. It's very important that our younger generation move into the future with emotional resilience, with self-confidence, and with an understanding, a sufficient understanding of finance to learn to save money. So those are not rocket science. Mm, mm. But these are life skills that we can equip our children and our grandchildren with. We should try to maybe build some of this into our education system Mm -hmm. so that the emphasis is not just on academic excellence, professional excellence, but life skills. Mm. You know, life skills of, um, you know, finding inner peace, emotional resilience to meditation, developing self-confidence to be able to communicate effectively Mm. because that's required for leadership positions and to be able to communicate your ideas and then finally to learn to save money Mm. even if it's just a small amount but saving money gives you freedom right so that you can have more choices and it also helps to build up your savings for financial security Mm. and if you want to go into business you can say to your backers I'm putting my life savings down Mm -hmm. Mm. I have skin in the game so all these things are very important and mm, and I, I would like to be to champion this by just saying if I see role models out there like you <laughs> I will invite you for tea okay. at Istana and let you share so the president has a stage exactly. that he can offer to people who he believes can improve our society great I like that I like that I will be on the stage <laughs> 
<laughs> I think anyway. I'll, I'll go on first. I've been around longer okay, than you. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, together. No problems here. We're united. United. Okay. Wine can shine together. Yes, yes, I have a question. So, you have outlined your plans if you were to get that stage. Now, on the off chance, on the sad chance that you don't get that stage, but you would still be left with a platform for change. What would be your biggest moves or what will you do with that platform now that so many people are watching you and you have the power to move and influence people? Yeah, you cannot say, I'm going to become the president. So that's why I'm doing all these things. Yeah. That's not authentic. Ah, okay. But the three things that I'm talking about, I've been doing all the while. So I've been teaching meditation to ordinary people. They come to a weekly meditation class that I conduct. I've been teaching university students about meditation. And I've been sharing this at business forums all around the world. So, and I want to continue to do that mm. because I believe that is good for not only Singaporeans, but for humanity. Mm. If we want to have a peaceful world, let there be peace on earth, but let it begin with me. Mm. All right? So something which I want to continue doing until the end of my life. Mm. All right. So when we talk about and change, then, right? Typically, yes. there is the raise awareness so that people start to learn about it and then that starts to kick uh, plant the seed of change then the second stage would be people acknowledging that yes I need to do something or yeah now I'm aware I do recognize this uh, gap and I want to do something and the last stage then is actually taken actionable uh, action yes. to move things into place with your platform that you will walk away with regardless of what happens on 1st of September yeah. at which stage of this change process do you see yourself playing the biggest oh, influence okay. are you going to be more on the I'll keep using my platform to keep raising awareness to the causes that I believe in and contribute in my ways I'm already or... on the way yeah. <laughs> in all those three areas oh. for ah. 35 years I've been practicing meditation Mm. And I've been sharing it and teaching it. Mm. And one example of it was the fantastic honor that Mr. Lee Kuan Yew gave me when he gave me the opportunity to help him to meditate. Wow. And then, and then secondly, public speaking. The three of us are examples of how we can develop a skill in public speaking mm. so that we are able to communicate, share our ideas better yeah. with other people. Financial literacy. I set up a vendor after I retired from the GIC because I want my company to be able to offer a low-cost, long-term investment product for Singaporeans. I'm on the way. Yeah, that one we can get you on another show <laughs> and we can talk about that specifically. Yes. So uh, you will yeah. continue doing all three even yes. regardless of what the results would yes. be. Mm -hmm. Would yes. you foresee that if you were to get busier in the event that you get elected, then for the time being, these three may have to take a few steps backwards or do you intend to maintain both sides? No, you know, you can only do something in a sustainable way mm, fair. if you have people to continue the work. Mm. So the mentoring becomes very important. It mustn't be totally reliant on me. Mm. So mm. in all those three areas, I must be able to mobilize mm. other people who share my vision. Fair. You fair. know, it's like you all. For financial literacy. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair, fair. Okay, so I, I want to ask more about financial literacy since <laughs> we're on the topic, right? What, what... Okay, so most of our listeners are middle-income millennials. Yes. You know, they maybe have a kid or two. Probably half of them have a house, you know, somewhere in that professional landscape. So we are in like CBD, likelihood they're all around, right? So that is our main target audience, yes. right? So for people in that context... 
Um, what is something that uh, you see a lot of people doing that you think is wrong? They shouldn't do those things when it comes to personal finance. And what is something that you think, yeah, you should do more of? Here we are talking about the basic principles of prudent investing. And those principles are equally applicable to the way the GIC invests the national reserves as well as to personal finances. So what are those principles? The first principle is have as long-term an investment horizon as possible. So for a young person starting out at 25 years old and assuming you retire at 65, you have a 40-year investment horizon. And that is a very powerful factor. Very powerful factor because of compounding of returns. Right? You know the rule of 72? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh? Rule of 72 says if you just make 4% per year, in 18 years, you double your money. If you make 8% per year, in nine years, you double your money. So long-term is very, very important. The longer your investment horizon, the better. The GIC invests with a 20-year time wow. horizon. Okay. Second principle, which is to know what is your risk capacity. Don't invest your money in stocks for the long term if you need the money to pay for your mortgage. <laughs> All right. So know your risk capacity. But once you know your risk capacity, set aside the money, put it on bank deposit if you have got to make those payments. But the extra, try to invest as long-term as possible. So knowing your risk capacity is very, very important. The third principle is to have a realistic return expectation. If you're investing in the stock market, I think a good rate of return is between 6 to 8% per year. Mm. Don't expect to make 12%. That is exceptional. When you make 12%, say, ah, that's too high, it will come down. So 6 to 8, realistic return expectations. Fourth principle, diversify. What do I mean? If you want to invest in stocks, don't put everything into the Chinese stock market. <laughs> Neither should you put everything in the American stock market just because it's doing well. So maybe one-third, one-third, one-third. One-third in America, maybe you want a bit more, it's okay. One-third maybe in Japan, one-third in China. Diversify, right? Because these things go up and down. And then the fifth principle, low cost. If you want to invest in complex things, the transaction costs are very high. Yeah, it's true. And you have to trade them, go in, go out. You're only enriching the brokers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I think if you can keep it simple, invest in index funds. All right? The cost is low, maybe 0.1, 0. 0.2% per year. If you're making 6% per year, why give up 1% or 2% in transaction costs? So these are very simple principles hmm, that, that you should try to adhere to. And all this in the context of steady investing. Put aside some money every month if possible, even when you are young, you're making $2,000, try to save $100 mm-hmm. if possible. But every month you invest, stay. Don't try to time the market. Wait, 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 wait. No. Mm-hmm. Just steadily invest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the basic principles. Yeah. Time the market is only for professional dragon slayers. <laughs> <laughs> professional <laughs> dragon slayers. Very difficult. <laughs> very difficult for the mess, right? For the yeah, mess. Very, yeah. Do you find that in recent years, because of the prevalence of social media, and typically what goes viral is the person or the guru who says, I made XXX 
6% returns and you can too. If I can do it, so can you. <laughs> right? For every, for every one person who achieves that, there are 99 who loses money. Mm. Mm. But I guess like with social media clouding that, you know, like before social media became so rampant and literally delivered in your phone to everybody, people would look at, for example, great uh, investors like Ray Dalio and Warren Buffett and they'll be like, they're the pinnacle, they're the top. So I understand there are other people who lose. I need to be a bit more moderate. I need to accept and know where I stand. But with social media and people saying like, if I can do it, so, so can, can you. you. I am normal. I came from this. I have no financial background. You can do it too. Do you feel that this has really skewed the way people view and invest in terms of the emotional and risk that they take? Yeah. Of course, the biggest psychological problem for investing, greed and fear. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that has, do you, you feel see? that has been exploding yeah. because yes. of social media? Yeah, and, and I mean, you quoted Warren Buffett, you know, his, his mate is uh, Charlie Munger. Mm. And he says, if you think investing is easy, then you are stupid. Charlie Munger has a lot of those lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, you have to think deeply because yeah. uh, what he's saying is, is very true. It's very true. Born out of years of, uh, of experience, you know, and... If you are an ordinary person with no experience, realize that when you are investing in the markets, you are competing against the professionals. Mm. Is that you're playing with the a big golf game. You're playing with people with zero handicap. Mm. And if you are a handicap of 18, you know, it's not easy. Even with a handicap of 18, you will be beaten. It is not easy. Yeah, I heard you're a big fan. What's your handicap? <laughs> I played with a handicap of 18. Mm, which yes. apparently is a thing. It's, it's like a standard. There's a certain standard there. No, yeah. 18 is a standard because yeah. if you have a high handicap, you're wasting people's time on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But if you have a handicap of zero, mm. you're playing too much golf. You're not <laughs> wasting Nice. a little bit more earlier on you mentioned five really great points um, and guys you guys should listen this is GIC's head who made mm-hmm. GIC to where it is today saying and giving that advice but on your fifth one you talk about low cost yes. today in this current climate um, we have a lot of people and we have social media ads as well right um, even insurance companies insurance agents they're advocating and we all know that costs of investing through insurance and through the policies because the many layers that they build are very high yes. but people are drawn to it because they like the idea that I don't have to do anything then I just go and work I do something else I'm lazy I just want to outsource it do you feel that is the right way given the high costs I'm not wrapping fees uh. definitely is not the right way so I would like to see in our junior colleges in our polytechnics financial literacy classes mm. maybe once a week mm. Teaching young people why you should buy an insurance policy, how you should buy an insurance policy. Yes. Mm. yes, yes. What's the difference between life insurance and endowment? Mm. Yes, yes. And then so messed learn up. to calculate the cost. What is the cost? Mm. All right. Differentiate why, between why guarantee and non guarantee. I, mean, I might be saying this and I will lose the votes of many insurance agents. <laughs> <laughs> we vote for you, we support. No, right? but I think, I think financial literacy. Mm. So we have to teach our children how to do simple calculation, mm. right? It's a life skill. Mm-hmm. It's a life skill for their long-term financial security. It's not that insurance policies are, are not, they're good. But how do you go about choosing the right exactly. policy? Yeah, lesser known. And then how do, 
how does our financial system encourage sufficient competition to bring the cost of investing down? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, I mean, uh, schools, if you guys ever need teachers. Yeah, you know, we are quite yeah, good. We're yeah, we're always uh, about must pay. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, must pay, where we are the best. Okay. Yeah, but we agree. Uh, financial literacy in schools should definitely be a thing. Yes. It wasn't during our time. It's now so. it's still lacking, but yes. it's something that has to change for the future of yes, the younger right. generation. Okay, maybe last question. Maybe last question. Uh, we'll give you the floor. I mean, to share, like, how are you different from everyone else? What is your platform? What is your... What are you going to champion specifically for you? And how are you different from everyone else? There are, there are three words which I can describe what I think are the essential qualities for the president. The first is competence. You need a certain level of competence. You saw how it took the Prime Minister three YouTube videos to explain. Now, that was an excellent exposition communicating to the people of Singapore. So in other words, we need a certain level of competence for the job because there's a specific function, safeguarding the reserves, safeguarding the integrity. The second important quality is independence. I think the health of our governance system in Singapore would be better if the president is independent of politics. Better for the president not to have been affiliated with any political party so that the president is then in a position to unify the people of Singapore regardless of their political views or their political uh, aspirations. So this second quality of um, independence. And then the third quality is integrity. You want to have a president who is known to be a person of good character and that you can only tell from his life history. Hmm. You cannot just put it on at the last minute. So I believe sincerely that I have those three qualities to make a good president. And I want to explain to the people of Singapore so that they know me, mm. not just as a financial expert, but as a humane person who cares about Singapore and who particularly wants to help the younger generation. Thank you. Thank you. Last Thank you. question. So if in the event... Someone else wins this time round. Will you run again the next round? No. Why I not? I think um, it will be too presumptuous for me. Mm. This is the best shot I have at the age of 75. But you're in great health. So yeah, if health permits. Like yeah, you don't look and act or <laughs> speak like 75. If somebody tells me that I have the constitution of Dr. Mahathir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can live very long. If health permits you, you know, would, would you still? I mean, I would be so happy mm. if at the next general election, at the next presidential elections, more good and capable younger Singaporeans mm. step forward mm. to serve their country. Fair, fair. Or our country. Our, our country. Yeah. Serve our United country. Yeah. for our future. Mm -hmm. That is my slogan. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Love it. Love it. And uh, if you have any questions, you can always approach Gok Song on their socials and any good stuff. Okay? So we will... And if you like this episode, remember to like and share yes. and spread the word about who he is, what yeah. he stands for, so that you and your peers can make a better informed voting yes. decision. Yes. This is not to say we advocate who are yeah, all yeah, that yeah, voting it's... secret, but yeah, yeah. you need information in order to help you vote. Yeah. And that's us from Wise and Shine. And Gok Song, the Dragon Slayer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Nice. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 